Welcome to Conservative Patriot Nation, new members and returning members. Tonight we have another fantastic show, and tonight's title is Law and Order. And we have three fantastic guests. We have Sheriff Lan, Lamb, and we have Lieutenant Colonel Dr. Peter Chambers, and we have Lieutenant John McCarry. And before we get to the show, I would like to recognize a couple of our sponsors. Mike Lindell and MyPillow.com. Mike Lindell has been on the forefront of investing in our freedoms and exposing a lot of things with the machines in our elections. And I'll just leave it at that. If you go to MyPillow.com, Mike Lindell is really, he is investing in our futures and our kids' futures and he's in, investing in our free, freedoms. So if you can go to mypillow.com and type in promo code CPNN, you'll get up to 66% off your purchase. And I'll tell you, his products are awesome and unbelievable. And that money that you're putting in there to walk in comfort and sleep in comfort, that money is really going to places that's very valued. And if you go to zstack.com, the great late Dr. Zelenko left us bullets to fight these bioweapons that has been put upon us. And zstack.com, you have Z Detox, you have Zstack, and they just came out with a form of Zstack for kids. Unbelievable. So if you go to zstack.com and type in promo code CPN, you'll get 5% off your purchase. And with further ado, I'd like to introduce everyone to John McCary, Lieutenant John McCary, and Lieutenant Colonel Dr. Peter Chambers, and Sheriff Lamb. I just want to thank you guys for coming on with us tonight. Thank you as well for having us. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's good to be here, sir. Yeah, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And since I'm looking at you guys, John McCarr is the first guy uh, on the top of my screen. So I'm going to start off with you. Um, I'm going to go over with all three of you guys, and we'll come up with the last thing that I have, and then we'll go into Q&A. So <clears throat> John McCarr can you go into when you were denied your religious medical exemption and the lawlessness that you've seen that led up to your retirement and your relocation to florida and what how did you see everything going south after seeing defund the police out there in new york yeah sure not a problem everybody i'm john mccary uh i'm a retired nypd lieutenant I did 18 years. I was always a highly rated employee. I was involved in thousands of arrests, thousands of emergency incidents without incident. Um, I'm a New York City kid. I lived in New York City my whole life. Uh, I took the job uh, to become a police officer because I love New York. I love the city. I loved interacting with people. Uh, I was very good at my profession. I'm still highly respected, even though I'm on the outside of my profession. Um, but we've seen a progressive mayor, Bill de Blasio, get elected when I was a young sergeant around uh, 2013. And he came in and he started instituting all of this progressive anti-police 
pro-criminal laws and legislation and started to basically handcuff the police. All the things I knew that worked, the broken windows, the area of policing, policing minor crimes, holding people accountable in egregious situation with major crimes and actually enforcing quality of life issues too and minor crimes. And, you know, and most of that was just a slap on the wrist. It was just the police there. It was, we were an intrusive police force. And I do believe that is the difference between police and security guards. No knock to anyone that does security here, but security's job is to observe and report. Police officers are there to be intrusive, to be out there as members of the public and, and, to, and to continue to hold law and order uh, and hold a system of justice. I watched our tools being stripped away from us. Um, and, you know, COVID came in. Uh, pandemic hit, you know, the, the propaganda was all over the media. They were, you know, telling everybody, be fearful, be fearful, be fearful. You know, I, I as a cop and, and, and the numerous situations I've been in and throughout my whole life, I, I never try to hold into the fear. Um, I'm, I, you know, the day that COVID struck in New York City lockdown, I was thankful for the job I had. I was thankful that I got to go out there and still continue to do my job. Um, I wasn't, my business wasn't being shut down, anything. So they asked me to go out. I go out, I, we go out through COVID. I wasn't very happy with New York State or New York City, the way that they handled any of it from the get-go, the shutting down of basically all outpatient facilities. Uh, they At one point, they were trying to tell the police that we were going to go out there and force mask and social distancing policy. And I made it very clear I would not be a part of doing any of that. That is not my job. I'm not going to tell a father walking next to his wife and his children to stand six feet apart. Um, so we go through the pandemic. George Floyd, George Floyd incident happens. Uh, it spreads to New York right away. New York City uh, riots kick off. They try to take over the 88 precinct in Brooklyn. Um, none of it, none of it was a spark up protest, as reported on the news. These were paid agitators, paid professional protesters. Um, so we went through the riots. The majority of the nights of the riots, we were given a stand down order. Uh, something I've never experienced in, in in my whole time with the police force. We would always the police. Uh, we've handled numerous large scale riots before. We have all of the tools to shut them down. And I do believe riots that went on for days, we could have quelled in two hours. However, we were given a stand down order. We were told to wait till legal. We don't want to do anything. The egregious people, the egregious agitators that we did arrest mainly were from out of state. Um, and this happened night after night after night. Um, I then contracted COVID-19 and uh, while performing my duties, I, uh, all the hospitals were shut down, right? All the outpatient cares were shut down, all that. I felt that I developed pneumonia. I was calling my doctors. I asked for a Z-Pack. I said, I feel like I have pneumonia. I know I'm, um, uh, uh, you know, I took a test and said I'm COVID positive, but I feel I have pneumonia. And uh, they wouldn't give me any treatment. They're like, no, you just have COVID. It's a sign of COVID. I was like, no, I can't breathe. I was like, I, I really like a Z-Pack. Long story short, I sit with uh, pneumonia for about eight days before I get a Z-Pack, before I use Teladoc. And I basically tell a doctor, like, I'm dying. Like, nobody will give me medicine. I'm just asking for a Z-Pack. I don't know what the big deal is. They give me a Z-Pack. I heal after sitting nine days. I still have diminished lung function from sitting with pneumonia for that long. Uh, I'm doing fine now. You know, I rehabilitated myself. I got myself back to work right away. When I get myself back to work, COVID-19 vaccine comes in. Um, 
and the police department doctors and all the doctors that I spoke with at that time, I had to see the police department doctors. They told me, listen, this vaccine's coming out. Um, we don't recommend anyone to take a vaccine after a recent infection. Made sense to me. So, I mean, just from growing up as a kid, I'm not a medical guy. I don't know anything about it, but it made perfect sense to me. A few weeks later, Bill de Blasio institutes a vaccine mandate for all city workers. Same doctors that told me not to take the vaccine are now telling me to take the vaccine. Uh, So with that, I go and take an antibody test. I take an antibody test and my, my antibodies are through the roof. I submit, not only do I submit a religious exemption, I submit a medical exemption for my antibody test. They deny my medical and they deny my religious. On my religious exemption, I stated that I believe in God. I believe God uh, God leads my path in life. Uh, he led me to be a police officer. He led me to everything I do in life. And I actually reached into the Bible. I reached where two times in the Bible, Jesus says, those who are sick are in need of a doctor. And those who are not, do not. And, you know, there's numerous ways to interpret the Bible. Right. But on the face of that right there, that's telling me don't take medicine when I'm not sick could mean something to you. The Bible speaks differently all to us. And I believe that statement is multilayered. However, right at the face, dead there. So I reach into that. I also reach into the fact that I believe in the truth. I believe in upholding the truth. I believe in protecting my conscience. I believe in going on what I know to be right. I was always taught in my career to have integrity, to tell the truth, something that. I've always seen, and I'm, and on top of telling the truth, I'm very familiar with uh, o- o- Office of Equal Opportunity law, both federal, city, and state. I'm, fa- I'm familiar with all of that law. I'm familiar with my First Amendment rights. I'm familiar with law. As, as we are the largest law enforcement, uh, we are the largest law enforcement organization in the world. Um, so I'm a lieutenant. I was an administrator. I had to be. I had to be aware of all of that for any issues that we had with employees, anything like that. So I uh, I state in my religious exemption that I believe in the truth and I believe that me, as you're offering me five hundred dollars to violate my faith, I believe that me by me doing that that would violate my conscience and damn me to hell. I, anything done in da- anything done in violation of conscience is damnation. So with with that. Um, I was denied blanket denial, blanket denial. I was told I would be fired. I did 18 years. Uh, I had a great career. I didn't want to leave. Um, I was slated to go the captain route, go up the ranks of the NYPD. Uh, by all means, I was very well liked. I had a, a, a great career that I did everything from anti-crime to field intelligence work, uh, to, you know, becoming administrator later, later on. And, and I was planning on going up the ranks to, to pursue the, to become a chief in the NYPD. And, um, you know, and basically I had to make a decision. Do I get fired? Do I take something that I, that violates everything I know to be true as I'm witnessing all the guys that did take this vaccine continuously get COVID-19 over and over again while they're around me and I'm never getting it again? Or do I submit for an early retirement? I walk away with my good guy letter, uh, still able to carry a firearm, and I'm still eligible for a portion of my pension, even though I took huge hit financially. Um, so I decided that I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't be able to look my children in the face, my friends in my face, my wife in my face, uh, my neighbors, my community, my coworkers, if I did something that I know is not right. 
I know doesn't make any sense if I just go along with the world. You know, my savior didn't go along with the world, you know, and I just I couldn't I couldn't violate my conscience. So I uh, I retired from my career. I retired early Um, when I made the decision. I said from this point on, I will be pushing back using my voice, using the experience and the knowledge I have, and I will push back not only against propaganda and misinformation that I see in mainstream media that I see being put out by the city of New York, but also the misinformation in my profession through progressive elected progressives and even on on the right, because I have oh, there's a lot. If you look at New York Republicans, I mean, they I, I don't I don't see a difference. I don't see that anyone's on my side in New York. Um, I don't see a strong voice coming out for law enforcement. So I'm basically, you know, I'm on social media. I started a podcast, New York's finest retired and unfiltered podcast. I've broken a lot of news stories lately. Uh, I broke a news story where the PBA gave money to a left wing governor, Kathy Holchel, who was she who he, they gave her fifty thousand dollars and didn't go with the with the Lee Zeldin who supported who overwhelmingly supported law enforcement. They gave it to a governor who supported vaccines mandates, who supports masking of children, who supports uh, vaccine mandates for kids as well. Who wanted to start a quarantine camp bill in New York City? Who tried to backdoor it into public health law? It was it was deemed unconstitutional. And someone that overwhelmingly supports criminals. So I broke that story broke a few other stories and that's what I'm doing. I'm pushing back against the, I'm pushing back against the progressive agenda as I'm watching, you know, we watched Seattle, we watched LA, we watched Chicago, and now we are watching New York fall. We're watching the police departments be demasculated there. And, and it's not, and it's not the, it's not the, the fault of, of the law enforcement leadership. They're not leading But these are, in my city particularly, these are appointed commissioners. So they are the arm of whoever's elected. So, you know, in order to bring a light to that, that's what I do. I speak out against anything I see wrong. Wow, amazing. Um, I just want to say you did the right thing and you're doing the right thing. And unfortunately, the, the sad and bad part about it is these evil people, I believe everything is by design. Um, because they, they need chaos and for their new world order to, uh, really work, they need to get rid of all the good cops. And unfortunately I'm from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I don't live there no more. I live in the suburbs and thank God I got out of there at an early age when I was 16. But in Milwaukee, the crime rate is so bad (laughs) that you have like an, 89% 89% chance of getting away with murder because now all the good cops are retiring. And then you got these young cops in there that are abiding by what they're saying. That is being crucified by these radical community organizations that are connected with government officials. And you know, these, the good cops, they're like, I can't even do my job. My cousin, her ex-husband is a police officer in Milwaukee, and he had one year left, and he said, I can't wait because we can't even do our job. So I want to tip my hat to you for your service, and um, it's really sad that our good cops are leaving, and unfortunately that we can get somewhere turned around here and get these cities cleaned up, and we definitely need a guy like Trump in office um, to support 
good cops. And um, thank you for sharing your story, John. And now I'll move on to uh, Lieutenant Colonel Dr. Chambers. Thank you for joining us tonight, boss. Great to be here, sir. So, Dr. Chambers. Um, Dr. Chambers. You, um, oh, could you mute your mic for just one oh, second? There's an echo going on. Dr. Chambers, you, you're, you're definitely not a stranger to the show. Conservative Patriot Nation is glad to have you back again. Oh, it's echoing pretty bad, Dr. Chambers. I can turn my volume down. Stand by. How about that? You're definitely not a stranger to the show, and Conservative Patriot Nation is definitely glad to have you back. For the new members in the audience, could you tell them your story? And I would like for you to explain the doctrine of the lesser magistrate, if you can. All right. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you a quick once over the world. I came in the Army in 1983 under Ronald Reagan, and I got out May 30th of this last year, uh, this year. Um, I've been everything from an infantryman, a paratrooper, Green Beret, flight surgeon, and I uh, spent a lot of time in the reserves as well, uh, National Guard. And uh, my, my uh, touch in this particular with these two esteemed gentlemen is that uh, since 1999, I've been a reserve sheriff deputy in my county. And my county is about to flip on the, uh, uh, the legislator side, and it's in Central Texas, just south of Austin. And we're, we're trying to hold the line, so uh, I've got until April to file for the sheriff's position. I called out the sheriff for OPS and FBI to uh, conduct raids that are considered, uh, they're not no knock warrants, they're just typical warrants go up and knock on the door and they're driving through the gates with uh, with vehicles and uh, holding, holding you know, little people at, uh, at bay, standing outside of the Capitol building on January 6th. So we had a town hall meeting about it. I called the sheriff out and somebody stood up and said, well, maybe you should run for sheriff. So I was like, whoa, not what I'm looking for. But it might be time. And so that'll lead me into the second part of your question, which is the doctrine of lesser magistrate. There's a guy named John Knox in 1500 Scotland who stood up for the, the peasants, if you will, with the upper class, the oligarchs. And he stood in the gap. And there's a book that's called The Doctrine of Lesser Magistrates, which is Mark Barhella. Uh, I have a hard time saying that name, but uh, I, I've met him on the phone. Good, good man. Uh, and it talks about the 70 or so odd scriptures that John Knox wrote his eloquent piece or his eloquent letter to the oligarchs and said, and he interposed. And, he, and the way he interposed was he stood in the gap for those people because he was a lesser magistrate. He was not at the level of those oligarchs. And that's what I said at that meeting was, Sheriff, you have to stand in the gap. And if you don't, that's cowardice to me. And that's dereliction of duty. That's a tough thing to do when you have to tell the truth. But the truth hurts. You know, as a soldier for 39 years, uh, I had to stand in the gap for my soldiers on the border. We, you know, my last mission was the Texas-Mexico border where I was a task force surgeon for 6,000 soldiers. And when they forced the soldiers to take mandates, and I was doing informed consent, and a general came up to me and said, Hey, Doc, you, you can't be doing this informed consent stuff. And I said, well, first of all, sir, you know, all due respect, I mean, I'm just a lowly lieutenant colonel, but 
Um, that's a regulation I have to give. It, it, by regs, I have to give this. It's EUA, emergency use authorization. And out of 3,000 children that had come on board, I think I only had about six that took it. You know, it's, it's my job to tell them the good, the bad, and the ugly, the truth of what they're facing or they're potentially going to face. And at the time, I had seen injuries. I was a whistleblower with Senator Johnson and told the truth. And then my job as a Green Beret went out the window because I was trying to stay in the shadows when you're a person and, and your name is spoke on C-SPAN. It changes everything. But I had 39 years, so I went and put in my retirement. They took me off the border uh, because I told the general that uh, that was an unlawful order. You don't have to follow orders. They're unlawful. That, that is the, All orders are considered lawful. However, a critical thinker says, hey, wait a minute. This is against the regs. This is against my oath as a physician as well. All right? So I, I, I'm, I'm like what, what you want to say, uh, a grunt who somehow figured out how to sit in a chair long enough to become a doctor. Now, I didn't graduate top of my class, but I graduated. And my job was to stop bleeding on the battlefield, just like plumbing. It's pretty easy. But in the case, my job was to interpose for those soldiers and advise the command. And I would advise the command based upon data that I was getting from the Defense Medical Epidemiology Database, showing that we had, a, for example, 11% rise in neurologic dysfunction. But the thing is, those are just numbers. I'm the guy that looks the soldiers in the face. I'm the guy that talks to family members when they're in the ICU having a stroke. I'm the guy that's pulling a soldier off the line that's 27 years old that had a, a myocarditis character. And I'm the guy that talks to, to, the, to the command, and the command says to me, well, you can't prove it. Now, if you had that many soldiers, and out of my, uh, my 3,000 at the time, I had six soldiers at one time in the ICU for things that we couldn't explain. If I was downrange in a combat zone taking care of soldiers, we can explain bullet holes. We can explain explosions. But if I had six soldiers that somehow mysteriously ended up in the hospital with some sort of thing that doesn't happen to young fighting age males and, males and females, and we had to send them home because of that, they would launch an investigation. Why are we not launching an investigation? Why am I not authorized to conduct informed consent? It doesn't make sense. Five years ago, if, if you told me any of this stuff, I'd say you're a conspiracy theorist. Now I'm the guy that's telling people, it's not a conspiracy. This is truth. There is no theory. I've proven it. I testified in Tampa at the Shields versus Lloyd Austin case, and we were able to show, number one, the shots were not safe. Number two, they're not effective. 77% of my soldiers coming in sick were double that. Some people chose to take it. 77%. But it's not effective. Number three, I can do it by lesser intrusive means, which means when I'm looking at 12,000, excuse me, 12,500 illegal aliens coming across our border, 1,248 miles of Texas border on the Rio Grande, and I know just about every inch of that, but every third night on that border. If, if they're looking at that many people walking across the border with who knows what kind of disease, nobody was testing them, we're allowing them all to come in. Now, that was last year. We're three times as many people now, and I'm sure that uh, Sheriff Lamb can testify to that. But we got an invasion going on the border, and I'm giving guys nasal swabs using betadine and saline, and nobody's sick. And all of a sudden, when the mandates come, and everybody starts taking them, and then they brought more soldiers on that had already taken them, 
the thick ones for the double vet. Not base, not effects. They can run operations. When we talk about readiness, they can run operations by doing less than two per minute. That's what I do. I'm a green bread doctor who's been in 53 countries around the world. Some of them are pretty dirty, and there's lots of worse things out there. And that's what we do to take care of our guys on preventative medicine stuff. I promise you this, that the soldiers that did not take those vaccines on that border, that I will, not that I will save, but I will help prevent them from being damaged, mighty shots way more than the number of people that I had put my hand in their guts to keep them alive down there. I promise you that. Wow, you know, that's <clears throat> that's really upsetting to, to hear that they would do that to our soldiers for, um, you know, because all we hear is national security reasons. This is a national security threat. I mean, <laughs> that's a national security threat to this nation. Um, our soldiers are important. National security of this nation. Yeah, it's listening to some of that stuff sometimes it, it just really mind boggles me um and it's it's just very upsetting and um thank you for sharing all that information with us colonel my pleasure sir <clears throat> could you mute your mic dr chambers sheriff lamb uh it's an honor uh to have you on here with us and um, while you're trying to keep law and order, can you go into what's transpiring in Arizona with human trafficking, fentanyl, the border, and also the pushback from the federal government? Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. And thank you to Lieutenant uh, Johnny Mack. And I hope that's fine. That's what it says. <laughs> and uh, obviously, Lieutenant Colonel Chambers, these are two great patriots. You heard their stories. These are men who stood up for what they believed and what was right. We need more men and women like this in this country. And thank you to everybody who joined us here tonight. Um, hopefully you can at least take some courage home, knowing that there's people out there standing in the gap, fighting for you guys and, uh, and, and really trying to stand up for, for what is right. Yeah, the border's a mess. Look, there's no two ways about it. It's a disaster. And, um, you know, we were hoping for a little bit better results. Not that they would have changed the border much, but uh, hopefully I think the one thing that we have left is now that the Congress has gone to the uh, Republicans, hopefully they can hold the purse strings and maybe get the, the uh, uh, Mayorkas and some of the other people to actually do their job and, 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 and enforce the border laws that are already in place. Um, what's happening right now is not about immigration. If you take anything away from what I say tonight, this is not about immigration. This is about human trafficking and drug trafficking into America. These people, the cartels, are enslaving women and children every day. Um, they know that they can sell a pill one time, but that they, they can sell a woman a hundred times or more. They can sell a child hundreds of times. They extort the men. This is what's happening on our watch. And under the name of politics, we're turning a blind eye because politically, it, it suits, you know, it's, it's what your party believes or doesn't believe. What it's happening is as Americans, we're letting it happen on our watch. We're sl slavery is alive and well in this country and it's, and it's flourishing more and more every day. And uh, that's not the American way. That's not the America that I, uh, you know, I fight for every day and that these gentlemen have fought for. Uh, we believe in protecting 
all lives. And so it's sad to watch these people who are coming here illegally, by the way, if they would have come the natural way, they wouldn't have been exposed to the cartels and they wouldn't have been taken advantage of and many of them enslaved. So that's a caveat to those saying, don't come that way because it's dangerous and you end up uh, where you don't wanna be. Um, so you've got that human trafficking piece, which by the way, in my county, we are a main corridor. I'm not on the border coming through the I-10 freeway every day. My guys can go out and do traffic stops all day long. Um, and we're pulling over countless cars. I'm talking five to 10 traffic stops a shift full of people being trafficked in here by these countries. They are paying our United States citizen teenagers $1,000 plus per head to drive down and pick these people up and bring them to Phoenix. We're getting into pursuits. We've had a 250% in increase in pursuits in my county. We've had a 200% increase in traffic stops involving, and those pursuits, by the way, involve human trafficking. We've had a 200% increase in traffic stops involving human trafficking. So this is just something that's just blowing off the charts. And then you add on the drug part of it. You know, the dangerous drugs that they're bringing in, the methamphetamines, the heroin, the marijuana. Um, but more importantly, what has become the leading cause of death in America amongst the ages of 18 and 45 is fentanyl. The fentanyl poisonings in America are staggering. And they're only going to get worse if we do not fix this border crisis. Last year, 107,000 plus Americans died from fentanyl poisonings because they're putting fentanyl in cocaine, they're putting it in the heroin, the meth, the, the marijuana, and the fentanyl pills. Um, and this is claiming American lives every day. It's unacceptable. You know, if you were to, I always use this example, if you were to take a bomb and drop it into the middle of, of New York City or any major city and kill 100,000 people, what would we do as a country? You know, we went to war for 20 years and, and this is not to diminish anything that happened on 9-11, but we went to war for 20 years for what happened on 9-11 and there were less than 4,000 people that died, American lives lost that day, along with a lot of first responders who were brave and courageous enough to try to save those people. But we went to war for 20 years for that, yet we're losing 107,000 American lives every day and those are oftentimes teenagers, children, Arizona last year had 33 children die from fentanyl poisonings. Seven of them were under the age of one year old. How, how awful is that? That alone should get every one of these people unelected. Um, the fact that they've allowed this to happen on their watch. And, and really just to wrap it up, what we're seeing now is, in, is inaction, omission of the government to do their job, um, whether it's political. I believe it's to undermine the rule of law. You had mentioned it already. This is all designed to undermine the rule of law, weaken our communities. And what better way to do that uh, than to open your borders and flood our communities with unknown quantities, unknown people, criminals. We just had a traffic stop the other day uh, involving a US citizen driving three illegals in the back of the car. One of them had been convicted of a second degree sex offense out of Oregon, now trying to get back into this country. So this is something we're seeing every day and the American people deserve better than this. It's our job to protect these people from this, from these criminals, from the people that would do harm to America. And if you're naive to think enough that everybody that's coming to this country is here for a better life and because they love America, you're kidding yourselves. There are a lot of people that want to do harm. There's been over 100 people caught just this year that were on the terrorist watch list. Um, so look, I can go on and on and all day long, and I know you want to ask a lot more questions, but 
the answer to your question is it's a disaster. Um, and unless we start maybe holding back some of the purse strings and holding some of these people that are responsible for protecting Americans down at the border by securing our border, unless we start holding them accountable for their inaction, then this problem will only continue to get worse. Um, not just American lives will be affected, but people's lives of those who are trying to come into this country will be enslaved by the cartels. Women will be raped. Children will be raped and, and used as pawns. Men will be extorted. And American lives will be the loss at the hands of dangerous drugs like fentanyl. So I'm not the, the I don't like to be the down, Debbie Downer here, but, uh, and sorry to any Debbies on the, listening tonight. I don't want to be the Debbie Downer here, but this is a real problem that we need to confront head on as Americans. Uh, and solve this issue or else it's going to cripple us and bring us to our knees, if not destroy us. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. Um, my daughter, she had three friends that she went to high school with that died uh, from fentanyl. You know, they thought they were taking Xanax and um, it wasn't Xanax. And these are some really young individuals, which that's that's really heartbreaking. Um, it almost makes me want to get emotional. Um, really, thank you so much for sharing that. And it's absolutely right. You know, there's a there was said once said that they'll take America down without shooting a bullet. You know, and when I hear that our military soldiers are taking a non examined thing you know what's a better well what's a better <laughs> better way to 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 cripple america and then now you've got these paid radical agitators talking about defund the police um everywhere you look they're getting cops in trouble when they're just trying to do their job so now you mentally break them down and they're like, well, damn, if I can't do my job, there's no sense of doing this because we're not protected by the local officials. And um, I, I don't even know if I could mentally do that if I was an officer, because now you're you're going to work every day to make sure you come back home to your wife and your kids. And let alone you're not being protected when you're trying to protect the community. So these people are trying to destroy us in every angle known to man and you're absolutely right it's going to take all of us to to step up to preserve this country and i don't and want can to i just say can i just ahead. say that's a that's a tribute to the men and women that put on this badge every day you know the danger is increasing every day not just with the people that are are have no respect for the rule of law anymore nor the authority that put on this badge but the the dangers we put ourselves in with the drugs and the different things coming into this country I just want to say it's a tribute and my hat goes off to every man and woman who puts his badge on every day and protects this community, um, despite the, the lack of support that many of them get, um, or at least the apparent lack of support, because I think really the majority of Americans still support law enforcement. So just wanted to say um, that, that, that all the respect goes to those men and women who put on the badge every day. Amen to that. Um, I agree. I mean, there was a study out there because they try to give the image that black America hates police and they want to defund the police. That's the illusion behind the paid actors that are on the television because the elderly black, okay, I'm half black, Sicilian and Polish and my black grandmother, she values the police because she's scared to even go shopping in, 
the communities that she's usually shopping in. She goes elsewhere now. And a lot of the elderly black people in the community, they value the police because that's their safety in the community where they built that nice house at one point where it was a nice community. So the the illusion that these these evil people are creating through the media is so false and fake. And um, I don't want to ask you guys too many questions because I learned doing that when I had Jerome Bell on here. <laughs> Everybody's like, oh, my answer, my questions are answered. But I will say when I did have him on here, he went to the Arizona border and he was telling me when I interviewed him, he says, the people that's coming from that border, these aren't your average immigrants. He says there's there's young men from the ages of 16 to 30 years old that are military trained. And I'm like, wow, you know, that's that's scary. Well, it's not scary if you're a patriot of this country, but you can kind of see that it's a it's a major problem and it's probably going to take a lot of people in the community um, to have to step up and um, defend their their neighborhoods if it has to come down to that. Yeah, and you're right. What comes into our county is is predominantly military age men dressed in camouflage clothes, carpet shoes. They are trying to avoid detection. You go over to the Yuma sector. We're in the Tucson sector. You go to the Yuma sector. Most of those people are layups or they're people that are are from 140 plus different countries, you know, Russia, Haiti, Brazil, China, wherever. And um, they throw away their IDs usually and then they come across and claim asylum and they give up. What we get are predominantly military age men avoiding detection. Um, many of them are employed by the cartels because if they're selling drugs in your community across this America, across America, I will guarantee you there is a cartel member in your community that not only distributes it to the drug dealers, but also collects the money and returns it back to the cartels. So um, thank you, Vicky, Vicky, but that's what's going on. And, and so what you heard is exactly right. Um, these are military age men. It should be alarming to all Americans. Wow. To sum this up before we get into Q&A, I would like to ask each of you, your guys' perspective on how do we get our country back to law and order in the best way that you guys can explain. And I'll start off with you, John, C Colonel, Dr. Chambers, and Sheriff Lamb. Yeah, sure. So, I, again, I think awakening of the public. We have to defeat the mainstream media. The mainstream media, for the most part, has been silent about everything that's going on. They, they ignore, the, all the politicians that are ignoring our laws. Uh, election law needs to be brought to light. Uh, we've seen in some in some counties, especially in New York City uh, recently in New York State, we've had a lot of a lot of issues with mail-in ballots. We've had a lot of issues with. Um, unsolicited mail-in ballots not not obviously we need solicited mail we need we need verified ballots for our militaries or for our elderly but in new york currently they're sending unsolicited mail-in ballots across and our voter rolls are dirty the actual election the actual election system is not that 
it's it's not that bad, but the voter rolls are terrible. We have we have 113 year olds that have been dead for 20 years still on New York City voter rolls, and we have mail in ballots going in, and these people are voting in New York elections. Uh, I, I'm hearing very similar things across the country. So that's first off is that the, we need to awaken the people. We need to highlight and identify the problems. That is one of the problems. The other problem is, as you know, and again, I'm speaking for New York here. We're not prosec- We don't even have prosecution when we when we get these people, there is no prosecution. Our justice system has been upended. And all of these things I'm talking about are politically created crisis. None of these things just happened. All of this happened through our politicians, elected progressives trying to upend our society and what we know to be good and true and demonize the American people, demonize the taxpaying citizen families and strip off us our constitutional rights, our Second Amendment rights, our First Amendment right, which is our most vocal, which is our the foundation of this nation. I'm, I'm able to say what I believe to be true. Uh, um, and I defend that through the Second Amendment. And we're seeing that in New York, too, where we're getting stripped. So in order to write this ship we need to be awake we need to understand who is running for what office who these people are we need to know what the issues are identify them and if you do not see someone currently in leadership and i i I don't even want to say leadership when i say of the elected when we say our representatives in office uh when you see someone that's not representative of your community maybe you step up and run because um, that's the only way that we're going to get this city back is a politically created crisis, and to and to get and to get out of it, we need to we need to attack we need not to attack the politics, but it has to be we, politics needs to be spoken. God needs to be spoken in the household. Politics needs to be spoken in the household. We all need to, we all need to be involved. Amen to that. All right, I think I fixed my echo problem. I put these little white things in my head. <laughs> Can you hear me? Loud and clear, boss. All right, so here's what, here's what we're doing in Texas, and I'm going to spread it across the country. And I've been talking about this in uh, several different shows lately. Where I grew up, 3,000 people on the Red River in my town, one traffic light per 1,000 people. We had a neighborhood watch program. Now, we didn't have it registered anywhere, but everybody took care of everybody. Down the street from me, old Vietnam vet, buddy of mine, when I leave town still now, he's out there sitting out there with his M14 if somebody comes up and says, what are you doing at Doc's Gate? Right? That's what we do there. When When a town gets squashed by a tornado, this town picks up and goes over there and helps them. Right? That's just what we do. So in four cities around uh, Texas now, Central Texas, two cities and uh, two down south. And uh, I've been speaking with Sheriff Cole about bringing it down to uh, Kenny County on his part of the border there. Um, developing a robust neighbor watch program. Down by Austin there, we've got, they call it a citizens, uh, concerned citizens group. You, you assist your local law enforcement by being the eyes and ears. They can't be everywhere. And sometimes if you live out in the country or especially when you live between the Rio Grande and towns like Zapata, about 90 miles north, uh, you, you, it might take a while for law enforcement to get to you. When I was a deputy sheriff, I had no backup for 30 minutes. And sometimes you've got to take care of things. So talk to your citizens and tell them. Let, now they'll say, well, what can I do? I'm a, I'm a retired this or that. And I, I can't, I can't uh, you know, get in a gunfight. I'm not asking you to do that. What I'm asking you to do is be eyes and ears, question things, look around. 
And then also, should things get bad for all, because we don't know where this where this country is going to be in the next few years. Should things get bad, know your support system, know your neighbors. In, in the last uh, winter storm we had a couple of years ago, the, the electric system went down. People didn't know, some people didn't know who their neighbors were. There might need somebody need some help. I'm not just talking about, you know, Antifa, BLM and, and cartel members. Start that network now, support each other because that's what's gonna help you. So if you wanna do something, do that. And then like me, gentlemen, when you leave the military, go down, go through a reserve academy and become a reserve sheriff deputy or whatever you have. They have those programs out there that get involved. Okay, if you if you feel like you're just sitting at home watching too much Oprah, get out there and help help enforcement because that's how it works. That's how that's what we do. We're Americans, and there's this times we're going to have some hard times that we may we may go through. I pray we don't. I pray we don't. But around the country, if you live in Portland, Oregon, you might have been through some hard times. If you live in Chicago and New York, I know that Johnny Mack up there, Lieutenant Mack. He's been through some hard times or seeing people go through hard times on the street. And we need everybody to stick together in this as Americans. Okay, because as Texans, that's what we're doing here. And that's that's a little bit more than just talking about stuff that's going out there and doing stuff. It doesn't require a lot, but if you know, many hands make make light work. And that's what we've got to do. And first of all, you know, for uh, love thy neighbor like you'd love yourself. Right. That's a golden rule. That's just what you got to do. All right, I'm pleading with you. We're going to be in hard times. You got to do that. That's what I got. Thanks, Colonel. I love it, sir. I think the Lieutenant Colonel's exactly right. And uh, of course, Lieutenant Johnny Mack, you're living in my head, man. I think that we just had a, a real lack of leadership in this country. Uh, not the greatest example of leadership, but Napoleon Bonaparte said that leaders are dealers in hope. And we haven't gotten a lot of hope from this country or from these leaders in our country, because they're not leaders. They're just, we've elected the wrong people to suit to, to be representatives up for us. And we're hiring the wrong people, honestly, to lead a lot of these law enforcement agencies, people that just lack the moral fortitude and the courage to stand up when the storms come. Um, I will tell you, I'm gonna refer you to a scripture, 2 Timothy 1, 7, for God had not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. One, we've got to take back our power. Um, I don't know, I'm gonna, some of you have heard me tell this story if you've listened to me speak before, but, um, and Jordan Peterson tells it, it's why zebras have stripes. You know, some people say it's for camouflage, um, which we know it's not true because a lion is tan and he can be two feet in front of you, you don't see him, but a zebra could be a mile away and you see him. So a scientist wants to understand why. So he goes out and he's watching these zebras and he's looking at this herd and he looks down to make a note. When he looks back up, he can't find that zebra mixed in with all the other ones. And so he's like, you know, I got an idea. I'm gonna paint a red X on the butt of a few of these zebras. So the next day he takes a can of paint, his Jeep goes out, paints a red X on the butts of a few of the zebras, comes back, thinks he's pretty slick, gets up the next morning, goes to look for, uh, goes to watch those zebras, but the predators ate those zebras with the red X. What he realized is that the predators could not hunt the herd. They had to isolate, they had to identify one of you or one zebra, and therefore they were able to successfully hunt them. Um, they, they divide and conquer. Uh, what he also realizes that the zebra stripes were not camouflaged from their surroundings. They were camouflaged for each other. It's the we the people principle. Our strength are our zebra stripes, the we the people, the founding fathers understood it. And until we come together as a people 
regardless of race, religion, skin color, political ideologies, whatever it is, until we come together as an American people, the we, the people principle, the zebra stripes, we're going to be, we're going to struggle. So we've got to take back our power because those people work for us. The government is at our beck and call, not vice versa. We are not their servants, nor are we their paupers. Um, and, and, and until we take back that power, it's going to continue that way. Second, the Lieutenant Colonel Chambers hit on it. You've got to restore the love in this country. Um, if you don't know who Alexis de Tocqueville was, Alexis de Tocqueville was a Frenchman sent here by the French government in the early 1800s to understand the American penal system and to understand what made America great. And he ended up writing a four volume series called Democracy in America that made him world renowned. But in there he put, I searched for the, the genius, I searched America for her genius and power, her greatness and genius in her commodious harbors and in her ample rivers, and it was not there. In her fertile fields and in her boundless prairies, and it was not there. In her rich mines and her vast world commerce, and it was not there. Not until I went in into the churches of America and heard her pulpits aflame with righteousness did I understand her secret her, of her genius and power. America was great because she was good. And if America ever ceased to be good, America will cease to be great. It's not easy to love some of these people, but until we restore the love in this country, uh, we will not come be the America we're destined to be or where we started off as. Um, you cannot dispel darkness with more darkness. So more light, that's what we need to bring to this table. More goodness, more light. That's what America stands for. And the last thing is you got to be of a sound mind. I don't know how many of you know what a flashbang is, but a flashbang is almost like a little grenade. It's a little canister, no shrapnel. You throw it in when you serve a search warrant, you throw it in a room, boom, a loud noise, a bright light and percussion. It's designed to take away your hearing, take away your vision and discombobulate you. We as Americans have been flashbanged. And if you don't get your wits about you real quick, they're gonna overtake us. You've gotta be of a sound state of mind and that's what it's going to take to get through all this. There's a book called As a Man Thinketh by James Allen. If you haven't had a chance to read it, it should be on your monthly reading list. But the book ends like this. It says, keep your hand firmly upon the helm of thought. In the bark of your soul reclines the commanding master. He does but sleep. Wake him. Self-control is strength. Right thought is mastery. Calmness is power. Say unto your heart, peace be still. There's a storm raging in this country, but we all have a commanding master inside of us. You need to wake him up and you need to get him up to the helm of the ship to navigate these difficult waters. And you need to be of a sound mind. Don't let them make you feel frustrated or angry or depressed. You've got to keep control of your emotions in your mind. And that is how we get through these things. And I know I was a little verbose and a little long on that, but I really think it's down to the basics. You got to restore, take back our power, restore the love in this country, and you have to be of a sound mind to do it. So that's my, my, that's my advice. Everything you said was well said. And um, from being a group owner for a while now and, and things that are going on and transpiring, you know, it's like um, some days I feel like um, I have to get words of inspiration and be an ear to hear and, be a counselor as well um a lot of people are 
an emotional time right now. So everything that you said was needed for a lot of people. And I'm sure you touched somebody on this chat. So um, you didn't take <laughs> you didn't take long at all, because, I mean, it, it's something that God is working through you to other people. And it definitely was needed. And I'm sure other people that listens to this podcast going for, further, um, that message is definitely going to be needed for them. So I, I appreciate everything that you just gave us. And now uh, we'll be going into Q&A. So if anyone has a question for either Patriot that's on here, or if you want to ask all three a question, um, you can do so. And JW is going to be taking questions tonight. So if you guys press that middle button, we can see your hand raised in order. By the way, Lieutenant Colonel, you already look like a sheriff, so you got it down already. You're one step ahead. You know, I want to wait for a hand to pop up here. Yeah, I've been told that, and uh, I was just wanting to be a sheriff deputy for a while, but it's hard to uh, it's hard not to be a leader when you've been a leader so long. I started out the first day in basic training in 1983. The guy, the drill sergeant called my name out and said chambers and i'm got off a bus with 300 dudes i'm like okay so i run up there 18 years old push-ups he's hollering at me my best friend in vietnam got his head blowed off his name was chambers you're in charge of this platoon i got 60 guys now right that's how it works sometimes you just call you get called you don't know you don't i never planned to be there i never planned to be a lieutenant colonel i was just a private but there's a in, in 480 bc heracletus I think it was 479 BC after the the the, the uh, Spartans were at Thermopylae, holding off 200,000, 300,000 Persians. How many Herodotus writes about these Spartans held them off for enough time for the rest of the Spartans to get formed up and fight. And Heraclitus commented this way: Out of a hundred men, ten shouldn't even be here. Eighty are nothing but targets, and nine they the battle make, and we're lucky to have them. And the one, the one is a leader, and they'll bring the others back. Ladies and gentlemen, these two, these two, these two honorable gentlemen are those one. What I need you to do is at least one of the nine be in the fight. Don't be the one, the tens that we call off just like a, a bad calf. All right, don't do that. We don't need you. And I don't want you to be a target. So follow the follow the leader, but at least go out there and in and in the in the close quarter battle in, industry, we call it look for work. LFW, look for work. I got a military working dog. I retired with me. He looks for work, believe me. And and, and he, he's a, a fur missile. But uh, that's what we got to do. So I, I appreciate the comments, sir. I'll, I'll do the best I can come April. <laughs> and thank you as well. I appreciate the uh, compliment. Looks like we have a question from Marcus. So Marcus can can be up. You can unmute yourself and ask the gentleman your questions. No, I was just saying that, uh, Mark, I really liked what you were saying on the borders. Now, there was a there was a video going around of some infrared uh, drone videos of thousands of people going towards the border. They were mentioning that those were pro possible soldiers also. Is that true? Um, yeah. 
Yeah, they are pushing soldiers across. You know, I don't know that all of them are soldiers, but a lot of them are. What they're doing is mixing regular soldiers in with these folks. So you don't know. And there's soldiers from all over. We heard Maduro from Venezuela is sending up a lot of his henchmen and releasing prisoners from his prison. And they're mixing them in with these large groups to come up here and raise hell for us here in the United States and probably to go after a lot of their own countrymen who left that country. So, yeah, there are a lot of soldiers coming across from a lot of different countries and we're letting them right into our own home, um, unencumbered and, and really putting a lot of American lives at risk. And the Colonel, Lieutenant Colonel hit on it before, the amount of diseases we're letting in here. I mean, look folks, this is a real, real problem and it should scare every American. And uh, it just doesn't seem to register at all for this federal government. So that's pretty, pretty disappointing, but yes, I, w I would venture to say there are soldiers mixed in those groups. Yeah, they were they were pretty much organized in the way they were moving at nighttime. Uh, they definitely had some sort of training there. Make no mistake about it, the lieutenant colonel can, can testify to this. When we finally decide that we've had enough as Americans, trust me, a small group of our soldiers will put it to these people. But until we, we find uh, our gumption and our willingness to dig down deep and protect this country, it's going to continue to go on. But we have the wherewithal, the means and the men to go out there and stop this whenever we want. Well, thanks for the info and, and keep going. We're, uh, we're trying. We're, we're, we're trying to keep it up. Could I, could I add something to that? I think it'd be good to add a little bit from the, this side of the border. Um, there was, uh, September last year, 17,000 Haitians showed up in Del Rio over about a 24 hour period of time. Uh, Michael Yon's a Goonberry buddy of mine. That's a war correspondent. He called me from the Darien Gap and said, you're going to have about 20,000 Haitians there in about 24, no, I'm sorry, about a week. And I said, Roger that. So we set up and we were ready for them, but we weren't ready for them. Because we had to funnel in another 400 uh, patrol cars with the DPS, the Texas Department of Public Safety. But you can't be ready for 40, 17,000 people all at once. But in that in stack, we were trying to look for needles. And that's the hard thing to do. Because when you have people coming across with, with fentanyl, people coming north with, uh, look, consider exactly what Sheriff Lamb said. Every one of these people pay a peso tax. You know, it's a, it's a tax. And they get this little band around their wrist that says, I paid. And if you don't pay, you get your head cut off and hung upside down on the other side of the bridge. Right? That, that's just what happens. It's ugly. And those poor people are getting used. One of my sergeants, an E-7 in the United States Army, came across when he was three years old, became a great American, went downrange, served several times, Purple Heart, Bronze Star, and now he's a U.S. citizen. Those are the kinds of people that we want to come across that river. We love every one of these people. But when you're looking for that needle and that needle stack, all right, when you're looking for that, which is a possible dirty bomb, which is, which is listen, of those people that came across it at, uh, at that time, 22% were fighting age males, 22% out of 17,000 people. We counted them. I went in there out there in the crowd and started doing my Green Beret stuff and, and taking care of little kids that were dying of heat casualty and talking to family members and then while you're there you're gathering intelligence you're listening to them and they're telling you how they got here and how they got here ngos non-governmental organizations that helped them get up here from chile a five-year process from haiti and the ngos do your homework 
They go to some pretty scary places inside this, the, of this country. Some of them come from Soros money. Some of them come from foundations that former presidents might be involved with. I'm saying we got to pay attention to that stuff. And that's just, that's just uh, you know, the forensics of it. But the reality of it is that the people in Del Rio that live there, and they, they were calling it, not me, they were calling that little part of town Bidenville, all right? That's, that's, that's what the locals were calling it. But under, under President Trump, we had Title 42 enacted, which they just lifted, I believe. Sheriff, you can correct me if I'm wrong. But uh, Title 42, remain in Mexico policy. There you go. So, uh, you know, the sheriff's right. And uh, it's, it's, what's going to happen is, and honestly, what's going to happen is, if, if, if I'm thinking the most dangerous course of action, you know, I wasn't just a doctor. Before that, I was a, I was a, a guy that pulled a trigger. And I paid attention to the most dangerous course of action. And the most dangerous course of action as a good Boy Scout is you got to be prepared for it. And if you're not prepared for it as citizens, you know, 11, 11 million uh, citizens in the state of Texas are concealed carry permit people. You take care of your family. That's what you do. And if they come across the border there in, in Kenny and they come cutting across a ranch, they're not all just seeking asylum. And, and like I said, I take care of those people. I love them all to death. But in between that, you got to be prepared to turn around on your heel. And that dog, he's laying right over here to my left. And I were standing out there at the Rio Grande City one night on the border, looking across. And I had to go. It's about three in the morning. You're going to have to excuse this little part of it. It's a little, little uh, difficult to talk about. I'm relieving myself in the bushes. Okay. That's what you got to do every once in a while. I put my, my camera up or my night vision up. And I'm down there hanging out with the guys. Yeah, Lieutenant Colonels do stuff too. I get bored and uh, dog starts growling and there's seven of them laying there in the bushes in front of me. They had snuck around us. They snuck around an operational element paying attention across the border. It's, it's like I said, it's a needle in a needle stack. They had fentanyl. They had two weapons. Now I, I loaded them up. I had the dog. He had to kind of do a little bit of work there, but we got him to give up. And so they come back into, you know, where my guys are with their hands on their head. And I'm like, guys, I got, I need some help over here. You know, I'm on comms. They had so much fentanyl that you probably could have killed the town of Del Rio with it. All right. Put it in the water. You kill the town of Del Rio. All right. Ask Sheriff Coe in Kinney County, because I talked to him. And last year, not that many weapons coming across. This year, I went in his office. I looked around. And there's all these tags, evidence tags on weapons. They're finding, they're pulling weapons off these people now. So I'm just corroborating what the sheriff is saying. That what we're seeing is an invasion on our border. This is fifth generation warfare. It doesn't look like back in the day when people fixed bayonets and ran across a berm. This is fifth generation using digits, using satanic images, using uh, coercion, using our our own legislators. Not not that they know it. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. But but when you get them to vote a certain way, that takes away the authority given to the lesser magistrates to the officers when you defund when you make it difficult for them when prosecutors go out there their own law enforcement officials there's a concern there for me and uh because it's all part of a marxist plan and i don't want to get too far down that rabbit hole but that's what i wanted to say and I, and that might have taken a little too long you keep me going here we'll be till, here till two in the morning We love your input, so don't apologize, please. 
I do have a question for um, Lieutenant Johnny Mack. This is for someone who their their mic isn't working. So I'm going to ask for him. So bear with me here. Um, he'd like to know, what do you feel Cuomo had, like what his part was in the destruction of New York City and the divide of the people and the police? Sure. So uh, Andrew Cuomo. I mean, basically, if you if you watch what happened in New York, he, he you know, he was a big proponent of bail reform in uh, New York City. Uh, when 2020 struck, he was still the governor uh, as COVID hit. We've seen basically all of all five borough district attorneys stop prosecuting. Courts were closed. Cases of people who shot people, who robbed people, who sexually assaulted people. Now, he's the governor. Uh, he's the governor of the state of New York, and he, he has the authority to remove district attorneys who are not doing their job. And that's what we've seen across all five boroughs in New York City. Our justice system was upended. Uh, you know, the, the, the system, uh, um, the symbol of justice in, in this country is a, is a blindfolded woman holding evenly weighted scales in one hand and a sword in the other. And she's blindfolded because justice is supposed to be blind. If I commit a crime, if somebody else commits a crime, we're tried blindly. Justice is blind. The sword s- swings down swiftly and the, and the scales, the evidence will be weighted evenly. But we're seeing in New York, we're seeing in New York, in New York City, and, and we were under attack under the height of COVID. We've seen those tails, the, the scales get tipped totally in favor of the criminal. Blindfold is off. We're looking at law-abiding citizens. We're looking at law enforcement, and the sword's basically thrown out. The only the only attacks we had were on good people. And then you look even further into his policy with um with the nursing home scandal. That still, honestly, people need to go to jail for that. I, I remember watching a press conference at, at at the start of it, and he was speaking to all the heads of the nursing homes across across all five boroughs, and actually across the state of New York. Excuse me, and um. They basically said, you know, we're not equipped to handle any medical emergency situations. And in those instances, we call we call nine one one, an ambulance comes, and we remove these people to a hospital for medical care. And he said, and I quote, "Deal with it." So basically, saying when these people are in need of a medical emergency, they're going to die. He's the governor of the state of New York. He didn't even realize how many hospital beds we had in New York State until COVID hit. We've had terrorist attacks. We've had natural disasters. We are the number one terrorist target in the world. You know, if you look behind me, NYPD Times Square, it's the most, it's the most coveted spot of, uh, of terrorism to, to have it on the map. You know, it's been, it's been distributed through all Al-Qaeda magazines, uh, you know, pictures of New York on fire. Um, and we don't know how many hospital beds we have. And we're, you know, we're, we, you know, and President Trump did a great job of bringing these makeshift hospitals in. Uh, we set them up through all five boroughs. Uh, we, so we were able to triage should should it be needed. He brought a, a, that great ship in to New York Harbor for it to be used in case we should need it because they expected with the density in New York for COVID to be bad. But um, we didn't use any of it. We didn't use that ship. We didn't use any of those makeshift hospitals. There was no leadership under him. Uh, Cuomo was, you know, he was, was he as bad as, as, as his predecessor right now? Uh, probably not, but he was, he, he did not, he did not exhibit any leadership. In fact, he sat on the throne and of, of arrogance where he wouldn't even listen. How could you not listen to, to medical professionals? And he allowed all of these outpatient cares to get out, out 
uh, uh, excuse me, outpatient care facilities to be shut down. I know it would happen. Let's let we could do the experiment now. I, I throw a campaign of fear into the media and I say everyone's going to get this virus and everybody's going to die. And I cause anxiety through all of it. And I shut down all the outpatient care facilities. So anybody that has any cancer treatments goes to their heart doctor regularly. Elder, elderly people who need to go for, for medical emergencies that need to go to the hospital. And I cause a massive rush on New York City hospitals. What's going to happen? People are going to die right now. And he didn't. He didn't provide the proper resources, and we had them. President Trump gave it to him. But instead, he shut it down, and he didn't want to put anyone there because he, he wanted to play politics. He put politics in front of people. He put politics in front of public safety. And you know what we're seeing currently in New York City is, is a direct result of him sitting in that chair. I agree. Thank you for answering that so well. Um, Persistent RN, you'll be up next. And then after that, we have Little Miss D. Thank you. And thanks to all three of you uh, wonderful men for being here tonight. Um, If each one of you would take one minute to advise us, we have so much information overload, but we know things are happening. How do we best protect our families um, over this transition that we're going through. So if each of you would take a minute to answer that, thank you. I guess I'll go first. Um, and I would just like to, I would just like to piggyback off what the Lieutenant Colonel said, you know, we need to stick together, know your neighbor, be prepared, be faithful. Don't live in fear. As if Sheriff Lamb said, God didn't give us the spirit of fear. We're there to take care of our families. They need to see confidence and strength. And when we exhibit confidence and strength, not only to our, our, our children and our families, but to our neighbors and uh, be the leader, be the leader, be the leader that, that the Lieutenant Colonel talked about and, and, you know, be prepared, you know, exercise your second amendment rights. Make sure you have firearms in your home. Make sure you have ammo. Make sure you have a, a stockpile of food. Prepare. Think about things. This is what, you know, as, as in law enforcement and even just growing up in New York City, growing up in Brooklyn, walking around the streets, I know what's going to I prepare in my head as I'm walking down the street. When I see a group of of uh, people as I'm, I'm approaching them, what, what what I'll do if something happens, if someone goes this way and I and I steer myself by by having a plan, by constantly, constantly reassessing and being observant, being aware. And and just on a side note, it's an honor to share the, the stage with these two gentlemen. Uh, I'm truly humbled. Lieutenant, uh, we're all built the same way here, right? We're just uh, from different places. And, you know, you guys might talk a little funny up there. But anyway, uh, <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. I love New York. I was there on 9-11. I was there seven hours after the planes hit. I was doing a submarine about down the street there at uh, Groton, Connecticut. And, they said, all personnel, all hands on deck, and we went. And I found myself on a street corner. I looked up at the sign, and the name was the same name as my last name, Chamber Street. And so I was God meant for me to be there that day. Right? You probably know where that's at. <laughs> so uh, one minute, I'm going to tell you this. There's three things. Number one, and I'm going to add to what Sheriff Flam says. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition, present your request to God in the peace of God with trans all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. That's number one. So that's, that's adding to the, you know, we don't live in a spirit of fear thing. 
Uh, I, I've said that to myself numerous times downrange when my hands were shaking and I had to put a clamp on somebody's bleeder. That's, that's kind of scary. I wasn't the kind of doctor who worked in a, a hospital. Uh, I jumped out of planes with the boys and jumped off their aircraft and I stayed on the offset of the X, we call it, just a little bit further back, but sometimes you get a little close. So that's number one. Number two, chaos. Chaos tends to, tends to scare people. The first thing you do in chaos, and this is what makes you a master of chaos, is to control the controllables. When I jump out of a plane at 12,800 feet, my parachute gives, has a malfunction. The first thing I do is I don't scream and start shaking my arms and legs. I don't do that. I control the controllables because it's chaos. I control what I can control, the things I can. We're talking about protecting our families here. Exactly what the lieutenant said, be prepared. Start looking at the things now and think of the possibilities and how would I counter those possibilities. And number three, situational awareness. Exactly, I'm gonna build on what the lieutenant said. Situational awareness. Most people walk around with a phone right here, right here. I walk by people, now I love this because when I'm doing surveillance, when I used to, downrange, I'd walk right by bad guys and they'd, I'd be seamless. So I'm half Native American, so I'm a little darker. I could walk down the streets of those places, dressed in their clothes, and they didn't even notice, right? Because they're doing this. And when you do this, and when you don't pay attention, when you pull into a gas station at night and you're gassing up and somebody comes up and rolls you up because you're not paying attention, you didn't drive around at one time or you knew that was a bad neighborhood, that's situational awareness. So those three things, that's my uh, more than one minute answer. Sorry, I'm a little verbose tonight. Man, I don't even know how you even add to that, Lieutenant and uh, Lieutenant Colonel, you guys nailed it. Um, get right with God and get prepared. Um, we've got we've to be prepared spiritually, physically, and temporally. Get out of debt, get some food supply. You just don't ever know what's going to happen. And like the Colonel said, uh, most of what um, it causes anxiety and depression is not being prepared for something or not knowing what's coming. Um, prepare yourself spiritually, read your scriptures, say some prayers, prepare yourself physically. Um, even if you are elderly or whatever position, position you're in, you can prepare somewhat. We always had a saying in SWAT, you will, you will never rise to the occasion. You will only rise to the highest level of your training. And that goes for your training spiritually, physically, and temporally. Um, so get right on all those things, be prepared, but then have faith in the end. Um, I, I always talk about three things, but I'm only going to share the last one. It goes along with what the Lieutenant Colonel said, surrender the outcome. The majority of the depression, anxiety, and unhappiness in this world comes because you're trying to control an outcome that you have no control over, but you can control the controllables. You control your out, your, your attitude, your work output and your preparation. And then the rest of it, you just got to trust that it's going to work out in our favor. And if not, then it isn't going to, then it is what it is. So um, that's my one minute, probably one minute 30, actually. Little Miss D, you're up. Good evening. Thank you all, gentlemen. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate each one of you. My question quickly is um, for Doc. Um, I don't know if you've considered it, but, and I am just west of the DFW area. Uh, would, could I possibly talk you into running for governor? All right, so this is, that's funny that you say that. 
because Miss Ann Vandersteel was just in my ear about that about two hours ago, maybe three hours ago. And I told her, I said, here's what I'll do. I'll run for the president of the Republic of Texas. Okay. <laughs> and uh, yeah, no, yeah, I have no inclination to, to run for anything other than sheriff. If I, if I get a chance to do that, I will do that. Um, but, uh, you know, God has, here's what I do now. I say, God, open the door, or close it in my face. Because anytime I try to do it like John Wayne, it usually hits me in the backside. So I'm not going to do that anymore. Um, there's a song, go bust it in there like old John Wayne. I'm not doing it anymore. So, I, but thank you, uh, ma'am, little Miss D for asking the question. Um, it, what is that? What's that indicative though, though? Think about this. It may not be me. It may be somebody else. That's indicative of the leaders that we have. And I've worked directly for Governor Abbott. I was on his task force for COVID uh, directly to his office staff. And I, and I briefed him directly right after that dog's laying here, got, a, got acknowledged for doing some stuff on the border. Uh, after I gave credit to him, because I said, well, like Forrest Gump, well, I'll just pay you. So sorry about being gross here. But, uh, but honestly, some people are, are not happy with a governor or some people are. Okay, I got it. And sometimes they have to go with the, whatever the wind is blowing, whatever windsock direction that's going to get them votes. But one thing that will give him credit for was he just declared an invasion on our border. Now it's up to us to continue to hold his feet to the fire. He, he declared the, the uh, or organizations down there, terrorist organizations, foreign ter terrorist organizations, FTOs. So he's doing good in that respect. But uh, yeah, so I, I I think that uh, we're gonna, it, it's better than the alternative that he just beat. Let's just put it that way. But I do thank you for that, <laughs> that question. Miss America, you're up. Can I have a mic check, please? Sounds good. Thank you. Um, gentlemen, it is such an honor. Um, thank you all for your service. Um, at the end of the day, I guess we're all serving our country right now, but I have to say each and every one of you is one of the sexiest men that is alive today. And it's, it's really about our country and and what we really stand for. So in a perspective of, there is this rumor, and I'd love to hear from all of you, that supposedly someone, there is this understanding of we, we are a republic, but then we're this other government. And there's certain steps that we need to take in regards to standing for our country and living in the republic that our country was founded on. Is there a certain process that all of you recommend or is it more so common law? How does, I, I would just like to hear all of your perspectives, please. I, I, will, I appreciate the compliment, Miss America, thank you. Um, I will say that um, I hear this a lot and I heard the left saying it leading up to the election. They said, democracy is under attack. Democracy is in jeopardy. We are not a democracy. We are a constitutional republic. That is what we are. And we must understand that this country is a constitutional republic. We elect officials to go back and represent us in Washington. So it becomes important to understand that because 
we don't get the chance to vote as a, as a whole, which is what democracy is. We elect people to go back and vote for us that pass these bills in Washington. And we have failed at that. We have failed at that. We've got to do a much better job at that. Um, so I don't know about any other government. I do know that in the, uh, the and they'll probably, this will probably set the uh, internet ablaze. But I mean, it says in the um, Declaration of Independence, when this government gets too far out of hand, it becomes incumbent upon the people to do their own thing. So uh, set up a new government. And, you know, at some point we've got to say to ourselves, these guys continue to fail the American people. But I still think we have a lot of, a lot of opportunity to change this in the elections. We need to exercise our, our uh, rights as Americans that were bestowed upon us by God, protected by the founding fathers in the Constitution. And uh, that's what we can do. But when somebody says it's a democracy, please correct them and tell them it's a constitutional republic. Well said, sir. And, and uh, Miss, Miss America, is that who we're talking to? I think so. Uh, thank you for the uh, making the don't, you know, my grandma used to say, don't get the big head. So I'm, gonna, I'm not going to get the big head here. But what I'm going to say is that we're all beautiful in the eyes of God. And, and honestly, um, in 1787, the Constitution of States, before we had a uh, uh, federal government at all, they, they, they debated over it for quite a bit of time on how they were going to run this thing. And they created the three equal uh, bodies in D.C. Now, think about this. What did I just say? The states created. Therefore, the federal government is not superior to the states. The states are superior. I'm a states' rights guy. The states are superior. The state of Texas can't go to the state of Arizona or the state of New York and say, hey, this is how we want to do it. They call our State Department that for a reason. France is a nation state. Those, co those colonies were, were considered states. So the sovereignty of these states were written eloquently in the Constitution. Governor Abbott is exercising the 10th Amendment, the last paragraph of it, when he's talking about the invasion on the border. This state has the right to do that. Unfortunately, the person that I wanted to win in Arizona doesn't look like she made it. Now, we might find out later on she is if this conspiracy theory comes true, all right? Because I work with some people who do in election integrity. Now the FBI is going to come and visit me because I said the word integrity. But I'm sorry. That's just the way it is. That's how I live my life. But I believe that we have to exercise those sovereign rights. And, and I don't know about another gun. I know that uh, the big government is a problem. And I know there's too much tax that are paying for things to continue to enlarge that big government. And that's not what we, we, we voted for. We voted for our electors to vote for people on the Hill to represent us with the money that we spend on the federal side. Now states have their state taxes and we, we should do the same thing through our state legislators. We can do that. There are, there are codifications of law in our particular states and our own state's constitutions that give us the authority as citizens to to develop commissions in the state of Texas called a 391 commission, and you can actually leverage your legislators to do something. So think about that as well. Thank you for the question. Great question. Yeah, so just to go on what they said, I don't know about another government, but I know definitely be a government of one. I think COVID definitely taught me that, not to be beholden to government, not to be beholden to your profession. 
right? Don't let them dangle the carrot of a, a large pension or money over your head. We need to become self-sufficient. So my state actually wasn't, there was nothing I could do. I was, I couldn't work in New York state, but thank God for the great state of Florida, states like Texas, states like Arizona, where I could actually go and work. So I, I picked up, I left, I, I became a government of my own. I started my own business, started a small business here in Florida. It's doing well. I owe probably $2 million to the bank. I'm feeding my family. And at the same time, I'm fighting, pushing back. I'm pushing back against against the, the my voice being shut out and being drowned out. And, you know, I'm still involved heavily in, in uh, politics. I actually uh, – and I actually I'm, – I'm part of – I'm a trustee. I serve on the board of the National Coalition of Frontline Workers now. We're, uh, we're all grassroots movement. We're putting together cops, firemen. Uh, and healthcare workers from all from all across the nation, and we're getting involved in in, in elections to either push candidates or or push the right candidates. And we endorse we endorse many candidates that won. Governor DeSantis, we we endorsed. Uh, we endorsed some candidates that lost, unfortunately. But uh, I mean, we are we. That's what we're doing. We're getting involved. We're strengthening our vote. And like I said. If for those of you that are in your states or beholden to a profession, you know, start to work to secure yourself financially that you don't need to you don't need to have you don't need your boss to to make sure you're putting food on the table and you have health care for your family. Be a government of your own. Um, and that that's that's what I'll say. That's that's my message, you know, or and and. Thank God. If, if, if it's really bad, if it's really bad, like New York went bad for me, there was nothing I could do. I was overridden. I, uh, I picked up and I left and I, and I put my faith in the Lord and he, uh, and he provided. Gentlemen, thank you again. It's such an honor. And seriously, you are the three sexiest man alive right now. Thank you. I second that. Thank you. Thank you. I heard that. <laughs> oh, this is awesome. I'm gonna, the next time I bring these guys on here, I'm going to have you guys um, send a donation first if you guys want to join the chat. No. <laughs> There's no other hands raised. So if you gentlemen don't mind, I'm going to ask you my questions now. Um, so Lieutenant Johnny Mack, I have a question about the New York situation since you were, you know, obviously there in service for quite a long period of time. So with the DAs there, which clearly they're part of how you can do your job. Um, I kept seeing where, you know, criminals were getting arrested, but then released back out. But was that a progressive situation or was that kind of all of a sudden? And where did these DAs come from? Like, how did that all happen? So it was definitely a progressive situation as far as we with the legislation and the policy that was coming in. Um, like I said, it was, it was very far left, progressive, pro-criminal, anti-police legislation. And our police leadership in New York put down policy that made it nearly impossible to be safe. And to not be looked at as a brutalizer, as not to be, uh, you know, that you're out there profiling people, that you're assaulting people, where basically every incident that police officers in New York City are in now, they're, they're self-reporting use of force cases against themselves. And the police are getting peppered up, as I would like to say, where they're, where if you look at this guy's record, you're like, oh, my God, this person looks horrible. But when you come to find out, you're like, well, well this guy just took 
500 illegal firearms off of repeat violent gang members. And as they get arrested, they're immediately released. The officers charged with a false arrest. Uh, the, the perpetrator's lawyer, because they stand outside of, of criminal courts in New York City, they stand outside there and the lawyers are out there and basically saying, oh, did, did, they, did they drop your case, which they're doing 90 percent of the time? Oh, they dropped the case. Unlawful arrest. File suit against uh, New York City. New York City does not even fight the case. They pay it out. So now it looks like I, I cost the city a million dollars. I cost the city two million dollars when it's really not the case. It's it's uh, it's what it's what's happening through progress, this progressive agenda. But in 2020 at COVID, we really seen it take hold. You've seen the mayor, Bill de Blasio, really went to a real Marxist. He really went left wing Marxist. And and our justice system has been upended since that point. Um so all of the progressive law and policy that was in place, they really don't even come into play now because they don't even come into play because you have district attorneys that as, as I as we go out there and make arrests and the men and women go out there and make arrests, they bring the, the case, they present the case to a district attorney. The district attorney's job is to make sure that the defendant is properly charged and present that case to a judge and jury of the defendant's peers. But it never gets there. Because the district attorney is saying, oh, you know what? Staffing issues, um, whatever it may be, whatever they want to whatever they want to put into it. And you don't even get to the point where where bail reform or any of this progressive agenda would come in. Any of these progressive laws would get to play 90 percent of the times these people are released and they're not even it looks like an arrest on their record. And now they but they have no criminal record because there was never a conviction And the 10 percent of the egregious times when it's news media worthy or, you know, it's 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 horrific. A three year old is shot for standing on the street. and We get the shooter. And now they're like, oh, this looks bad. Now we have to deal with all the progressive laws. Now we have to deal with all the progressive policy, the the discovery laws, the the impossible insanity. And half the time, you know, they're they're dealing these people out too. They're dealing them out to lesser crime, to lesser convictions. Um, and then once they go to jail, what we've seen again in COVID, they're letting them out. Yeah, and and even in jail, they're not they're not getting their full sentence. And we have we have members sitting on New York City Council right now who are looking to get rid of New York City jails, abolish the police and abolish jails. It went far beyond the fund the police in New York City. So it was it was a buildup since 2013, but but 2020 it went full blown. They hit the implode button and that's what we're seeing now. That's really upsetting. Um but I I that definitely makes sense though that how they build it up and then just let it explode. Um, now, my, my other questions relate to the border, so maybe both um, Sheriff Lamb and um, Lieutenant Colonel Chambers can answer these. I have a question about the cartels. So, obviously, they're involved in, in this horrific situation with the drugs and the human trafficking, but what role does our federal government play in that? Complicity. I mean, if you know that they're doing it, you don't stop them, and you continue to to actually not only do they not stop it when states like texas or arizona try to do what they can to stop it they actually stop that which continues to let the cartels make unprecedented amounts of money i think i heard the other day that they were making 500 million dollars a year and now that number is 13 billion dollars a year so like this is no joke how much money they're making um and they're making it off of bodies we call it bodies. When I say bodies, that means human beings, people, real women, men, children. 
They're making more money now off of them trafficking them into this country than they are off of the drugs. And then they're making unprecedented amounts of money off of the drugs. So I would say that there's a level of complacency, whether it's whether it's willful or ignorant um, or uh, just flat out incompetence, which I don't think so. I think they mean to do this and they mean to turn a blind eye to it. Um, it, it becomes some level of complacency. And so I say they are complicit. Yeah, that, that's a great uh, strategic view there, Sheriff. Um, and I'm going to break it down to a tactical here, down to the ground, and say that uh, these are specific examples. And sometimes it's good to marry this up to understand how that looks. And so how it looks is uh, my riffing boat guys, Zodiacs, on the river, uh, got some Rangers with us. We got some Green Berets. We got some parachute infantry people. Uh, like I said, we're looking for that needle in that needle stack. Uh, we're not. We're not. Not that we're not concerned. I've had soldiers conducting CPR on children on the border. I had a soldier jump in the water in Del Rio, uh, Eagle Pass, and uh, didn't come back up because he was trying to save a little girl that was dumped out of a of a makeshift raft that the that the uh, coyotes were bringing kids across or people across. Um, we got hearts for these people. But it is it has gotten to the point now where uh, it's it, it out of control, and at the tactical level, with the with the the guys that work on the ground, the federal officers that work on the ground with us, have to go home and have a hard time sleeping at night because their leadership is not allowing them to do that. Am I getting that feedback? It's fixed. Sorry about that. Okay. So their leadership is failing them. I was about 400 meters from that officer, that that Border Patrol officer riding that horse. And I had my dog down on the other side with those Haitians there. And his his split reins were in the air and they took a picture. It looked like they could say he was whipping them. No, they lost their horses after that. You try to work on that border without horses. Go down to Presidio in the big bend of Texas out there in the desert. When the nearest officer for that person is two hours away, all right, and understand that the amount of pressure that they're under. And when that leadership fails them, they're failing that individual. They're failing us because we work as a team. So when the Zodiac soldiers are down there on the water, let me explain this tactically. And and, and the the impeding part of this is when we got to put those boats in the water and when DHS tells us you can't use our boat ramps because we own this water space. We own this little piece of land right against the water. What do you mean we can't use it? So now we got to drive way down to some farmer and say, can we slip this in the water here real quick? And then use half a tank of gas to get into the area that we need to, to work at, the Texas National Guard. That's what I'm seeing. When I see, and the Anzadoulis Bridge, which is a point of entry that's just south of uh, McAllen, uh, when I see 7,000 people under a bridge, underneath that point of entry bridge, because it's hot outside and they put them under the bridge while they work them, and then uh, we go down there to help out, and uh, the guys on the ground want help. I'm talking about Border Patrol. They want help. They're feds. And we got a great working relationship. And then their leadership come down and says, get all these green suitors out of here. We don't want any National Guard here. Why was that? Let me explain why it was. Because the next day there was a press conference, and Mayorkas was going to be there. And you know what they did in the middle of the night? Because we sat there and watched it. They put them on buses, and they disappeared. And then Mayorkas pulled a 
you know, Star Wars, these are not the droids you're looking for. And there was about three or 400 people standing there. There were 7,000 people there 24 hours before that. And that's what happens when they see those press conferences. Be careful. Trust, but verify, say. In this case, you don't trust, okay? And in Del Rio, 17,000 people, we're putting them all on a plane and we're sending them back to Haiti. That's what Mayor says. You know what they did? They drove them up the road to Laughlin Air Force Base. They put them on buses, a U.S. Air Force Base. They put them on planes and brought them into the interior of the United States, into mostly red states, all right? And they put them on buses. And a matter of fact, one of the buses, they overtook the driver of the bus and disappeared out into uh, somewhere around Eagle Pass, all right? That's how confident that I am in their capabilities of letting people go, not the people around, the leadership. And that is where that's happening tactically. So just to build on what the sheriff was saying. Yeah, and I want to make sure that everybody understands when I say complacency, I'm talking about the federal government. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about Washington, D.C. I want to make sure that the people know that the men and women who have Border Patrol and CBP and ICE do an amazing job. They're not supported by Washington, D.C., and it makes their job virtually impossible. And they need more help, and they need more staffing, and they need more, they need a hand. Um, so I, I hopefully people understand that. That's not what I'm talking about. The complicity becomes at the Washington, D.C. level. The decision makers, the president, the secretaries, they're failing the American people. We definitely here know that. And definitely, absolutely, it's the federal level, not not the boots on the ground level. Um, can I ask more questions? I'm sorry. I don't want to be greedy, but <laughs> I'm, with with the, um, the border stuff, how about the one we saw, like, you don't know what's true on TV, um, but like when they're showing these- um, Pretty much nothing. But we're showing wristbands on these people coming across the border and then going different directions. Like, what is that about, the wristband stuff? The wristbands signified they have paid the cartels. Makes sense. All right, and then my one last question is, so like wherever we live, when we have our local sheriffs, um, what are good questions to ask to know that if they're a constitutional sheriff and a good sheriff to have? Ask them what, uh, ask them what the 10th Amendment is. <laughs> Ask them about the doctrine of lesser magistrates. You don't have to use that terminology. Ask them where they stand. Ask them what do they do whenever a family member calls and says, hey, the FBI just busted through the door of our house last week. We were held for six hours in our underwear in the front porch until they took all of our devices out of our house. We called the sheriff's office and why didn't you come out and help us? Or at least uh, acknowledge it. Um, if you see situations like that, but if you, if you don't have anything like that, um, get involved and understand and go to city uh city not city councils go to uh town halls and listen just listen and you'll and you'll figure it out and then you'll know what to ask and then look who's backing them too that's the other thing the guy that i might have to run against is being backed by money that comes out of austin and that money is uh i found out now is soros backed money through district attorneys so if you do your homework and you look at that you can figure it out just by following the money and following who supports, honestly. If you hear a hoofbeat, think about a horse and not a zebra. I'm sorry, Sheriff. <laughs> if you hear a hoofbeat, think about a horse and not a zebra. I'm changing the zebra story a little bit. Sorry. 
Go ahead, sir. And I would just add on one more thing is actions speak louder than words. You know, if it's an incumbent sheriff, take a look and see where they were standing on COVID. Look, I stood against the lockdown that stood against the mass mandates. We didn't do any of that bull crap here. I stood against the vaccine mandates. And many a times I was on an island all alone. There was nobody standing with me when I looked side, on both sides of me. Um, when I first stood against the lockdowns, one other sheriff stood with me. The rest of them were pretty silent. And I'm not saying that it's to knock anybody else. I'm just saying that you have an opportunity over the last two years to really see how some of these politicians have been acting when, when things get tough. It's easy to be a, uh, you know, it's easy to be a winner when things are good. Um, you want to find out what you're made of. There's a saying, it's not a fight until you meet resistance. You'll find out who your fighters are as soon as they, you meet some resistance. And we met some resistance over the last two years. And you need to take a look and see how they acted when those, things, those situations arose. Now, if they're not incumbents, um, you know, like the, like the lieutenant colonel said, he had a lot of great advice as to what you can look at as you're looking for a good candidate. Um, and really just an overall knowledge of the Constitution and a belief in this country and what it was built on and the founding fathers and a love of God, family, and country. If that is your God, family, freedom, if that is your barometer, then that's somebody I can get behind. Um, but if you're telling me politics and just, just chit-chatting with me and think, telling me what I think I want to hear, then that's an alarm and a red flag for me. Thank you so much. Uh, I would I would agree with both of them. That's all I was going to say is that I, I would agree with both of them. I mean, if somebody's running for elected office, sheriff or not or not sheriff, I would I would just ensure that you understand what's going on where you live. You understand the issues that the sheriff would have to deal with that would be high on your radar and and just simply ask how he plans on dealing with any of these issues, anything that comes and comes to light and. You know, again, like if you're, you're hearing buzzwords, oh, we're going to we're going to work on community partnerships to bring down the gun violence. We're going to make sure that uh, people aren't carrying assault weapons. These are all buzzwords, right? Like you're, we hear that over and over again in New York City. They're they're re looking to restrict citizens rights to bear and hold arms in order to bring down gun violence. So if you know the problems where you live. And, you know, you could I, I think we could all smell through bullshit. You know what I mean? I mean, what just by simply asking a question, talking to someone when they're dancing around and giving you buzzwords. I mean, that person's not somebody that you want. And, and just to, on what the colonel said, follow the money dot org. It's a great website. Uh, you look on it. You put you put the, the the person's name, the candidate that's running. And you could see and you could just put in the year and see who 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 and if gave them donations. That's how I broke the story that uh, Patrick Lynch uh, gave $50,000 to a left-wing radical who hates the police in, in, in direct conflict with the men and women of, of the New York City Police Department. And I would say, unlike one of the states that begins with P, is don't elect people that can't even understand a question when asked to them, or elect people that have since passed away. Um, that's a good sign, too, that you're going to elect somebody that might do a, uh, a good job for you. Is that all, JW? I think so. Sorry. I'm full of questions for these great men. Sorry. No, it's it's good to ask questions. And, that, and that's why we bring on patriots like the three here and, and many others 
and, and these chats, these shows are for you guys. Because God told me you need to have these shows where the his people can ask questions. Because, I mean, we watch podcasts where you can watch somebody's Rumble or YouTube, and it's like, damn, I wish I could ask the sheriff a question. You know, and I know a lot of people on here have questions, and they may be starstruck or just like Miss America said a million times, you guys are the sexiest guy in the, in the world, and they're probably intimidated. But um, all I say is take advantage when we get these patriots on with us. Um, and I already know that you guys have questions because we've got Sheriff Lamb here and uh, a lot of people are biting their nails about Arizona and Cary Lake and all that good stuff. <laughs> but what I will ask you, Sheriff, um, since everybody else is zipping their lips, the other day I seen that the sheriffs were surrounding, um, was that like the pole station or whatever, they're on the roof and surrounding the building was that what was that all about to protect the people in there counting ballots or uh that was in maricopa county so two years ago after the elections there was large large groups of people that were showing up and protesting at the secretary of state's building or the county recorder's building and so um I think that they were at the county recorder's building again. They want to make sure that everybody's safe there, obviously, not just the people working inside the building, but anybody that's coming to to uh, redress their grievances they have with the government. They're trying to make sure that they can do that in a peaceable fashion. So uh, it's kind of that better to be, have and not need than to need and not have. I don't think it's really to scare anybody off. You know, I'm good friends with the sheriff there in Maricopa County. and. I know that they're really just trying hard to preserve the peace and keep things, the dam from breaking loose. And when you're in a supercharged situation like what we're in right now, that could easily go south. And so um, that's really, to my understanding, what a lot of this is about is just ensuring that everybody on all sides is protected. We can keep this peaceable. Thank you for that. Um, I know we're almost over an hour here now. For the win, and JW has another question for you guys, and I won't hold you guys up any longer. Go ahead, for the win. This one's for Sheriff Lamb. When President Trump was talking about the quick trial, quick trial as a sheriff, how does that make you feel in the future for being a sheriff, being able to do your job easier, would you think? Um, I miss that, so I don't know, but if we could get a quick trial, I assuming that's what he's talking about. You know, one of the problems with the judicial system is we just don't have what it, you do something and then we're releasing these people right back to the streets and then they're not going to court for years, you know, especially in some of these bigger cities. And then a lot of people don't realize when these folks are coming across the border, they're claiming that they're, they're, they're not sending them back. They're saying that they're giving them a court date. Well, they're giving them a court date from two to three years from now at minimum. Um, and so we just have a real problem in this country where we've gotten to where this judicial process is taking way too long. People aren't being held accountable for two, three, four years. In the meantime, they're able to go out and commit a lot more crimes. So I'm guessing that's what he was talking about, but I missed it. His so I apologize. Yeah, his comments were talking about death penalty for drug dealers and human traffickers. Oh, I, look, I, 
death penalties are really hard cases, but I like the death penalty in certain situations. And I think some of the worst things that you can do are traffic human beings for sex and for and abuse human beings and and strip them of their dignity and their freedom. And the other thing is drugs. I mean, really, you think about the mass murders that we've put to death. Most of these drug dealers have killed far more people than mass murders have. These drug dealers are the ones killing people every day. And it's the same drug use killing people over and over again. So, you know, I think there has to be a much stricter um, uh, punishment for them. Whether that is death or not is going to be probably w within each state, which I believe wholeheartedly and that each state should have its sovereignty and the right to be able to pass the laws that they want to pass. But I would certainly not oppose something that held these people accountable that were killing people, even if it was the death penalty, because they ultimately are killing people every day. So ultimately, Sheriff, um, it, let, let's say that that policy was instituted and the death penalty was for uh, drug dealers and sex traffickers. Would that make your job easier as a sheriff overall, like across the board? Would it just decrease like astronomically or what kind of like impact do you think that would make for your job as a sheriff actually? Well, like anything, I think it would take a little bit of time. I think that's a great question. <clears throat> Ultimately, I think harsher uh, consequences does decrease crime. It's proven to do so. Um, and now that we're seeing that there's lighter consequences for crime, we're seeing crime increase. So clearly, I think that would have a positive impact. Um, you know, the, the, the death penalty cases, just so many people know, they cost millions of dollars to prosecute those. Um, and these, these courts, these judges have made it uh, damn near impossible to even get them done anymore. Um, I, I'm going to go off on a tangent because I think what we need now more than anything is oh, we need some term limits. We need term limits on politicians. We need term limits on judges. Um, Lieutenant Colonel alluded to it earlier. There's three branches of the government, the judicial, the executive, and the legislative. And now what we have is the executive passing laws as if they were the legislative branch, like you got to wear a mask and all these executive orders and mandates. You've got the judicial that are that are adjudicating from the, they're passing, they're politicizing this from the bench. They're passing case law in many cases, and that becomes like law. Um, and many prosecutors don't want to, to uh, take cases in front of judges anymore because of case law. So they're they are basically legislating, and then we got the legislators pretty much useless right now. So we got to get all that back to the basics. I think that starts with having um term limits on judges and politicians so um i know i kind of went off on a tangent there but appreciate it sheriff thank you if you don't mind we did have a few more hands go up if you have a little bit more time um just take a, a two more questions we have a question from mama b Thank you. Good evening, gentlemen, and thank you for your service and your time tonight. Um, wonderful to see you all up there. I'm just curious, I guess, to kind of bring this all around when you look at the population we have now, what we've gone through as a nation. It's very disturbing to me to see our children and well, adults alike, and especially our most vulnerable. With my and I have minimal medical training background working with the elderly, but worked in a hospital and was trained on high infectious diseases. And um, 
I understand that we've not isolated this. You cannot isolate a germ. Yet we've gone ahead and we've we've gone ahead and we've created a vaccine or so-called so vaccine and it's an injection. It's been administered to millions of people globally without the contents of what is inside the vaccine, much less the fact that we haven't ever proven that we've isolated in order to actually diagnose what it is. And yet then on top of that, you have J RFK Jr. who's brought it to the highest court and won where there's no appeals to prove that this is a bioweapon. On top of that, the infrastructure that um, my father worked on in Chicago is now failing. The TARP project, that's our, our water system and our sewer system. Now federally, they've changed the laws so that these cannot be constructed together as close proximity as they are because the gas that it produces is the type that you would find in such as you would see in a coal mine where they throw the bird in there to make sure it lives. These gas pockets exist when you have sewage, raw sewage combined with water seeping into the ground and have that pump system that pumps that water. To me, I guess what I'm getting to gentlemen is the failure like you had mentioned all three branches of our government it's not just the failure when he speaks biblically. Biblically is the failure of the, the strength of Mother Nature and the disasters that have yet to come as a result of faulty materials, faulty city operations when it takes eight men to fill one pothole. The grading of the streets are not aligned with the way that these reservoirs have been mishappenly built. So when those reservoirs fail, and if those pump systems fail, the freeways are not irrigated or graded to handle that type of water flow. And they too will also, and they are already performing sinkholes the size of small towns. And you can see it where all the sewer lines are run because the cement uh, is, is constructed with uh, particles and water and does not stand the test of time of mother nature and running natural bodies of water. And when you take into factor, and it's not, does not bring me proud to say this gentlemen, my father was uh, the 10th best civil engineer and this project started in 2004 and ended in 2014. And it was started because originally the, the whole chain of command in the original beginning of, of digging out that river and changing the flow of the water to Lake Michigan was to avoid cholera from the early 1900s coming through our sewage. However, now we found out over through time and research and whatnot that this is now failing. You're talking about live sewage and water, our drinking water. And this goes all the way out to this is the, the end of the line of the tar project of this uh, reconstruction system of pumps and and filtration and reservoir. It's a huge thing. And when we're talking about what is going on right now, the mass amount of failure that can come out of this kind of catastrophe, the states that are connected to Lake Michigan, which is the only natural body of water owned by we, the people. 
by the by. It is the only natural body of water, I repeat, owned by we, the American people. They have no right to have made that deal with Nestle at $69,000 a year contract to pump out 3 million gallons of water that is not filtered by any federal system or any scientific anything and bottled and resold to the American people at three plus dollars a bottle. And they can do this at three million gallons a day. And you look at the shores of the UP in Michigan, I have. I was born in Detroit. I've also lived through martial law. Now, where I'm getting with this, gentlemen, we have 50 states that have enacted the National Guard. We have a failed executive, legislative, judicial system. All three systems of our government have failed the American people. You have a country now that is suffering the outcome of a genocide and depopulation. That is what's going on here. And how is it that we, the people down here, when it has affected the poorest, the most vulnerable, and then has now deconstructed the middle class and put us in to harm's way in every way, our food, our water, our infrastructure, our government has failed. How do the people get to JFK justice where it began in 63? How do I'm sorry, justice? can I just, I don't mean to interrupt. I, sure. I've got to jump off my grandson's birthday party. These are yes, two very Mr. capable Brown. men because there's a lot to unpack with what you're asking. And I don't know yes, that sir. I've got the time to stay on for it, especially the guy who's got the championship wrestling belt behind him. That guy's really going to be able to answer a lot of this stuff. Hey, guys, I just want to, and I, I apologize so much that I have to interrupt. I've got a, my family's waiting for me to jump on my grandson's birthday party, but it has been an honor to be on with all of you and especially you two patriots. God bless you guys and thank you for all you're doing. And uh, couldn't, couldn't have appreciated more this time that I've had with you tonight. And once again, sorry to interrupt the question, but I've got to jump off. Thank you, Sheriff. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Sheriff. I, I can try to unpack that question if you'd like me to. Yes, please. And I do okay. appreciate your time, both you gentlemen. Thank you. And the room as well. God bless. Okay, so man is fallible. And when people are in power, and it, this is going to go back to one of the things that Sheriff Lamb said with regard to term limits. As we see people that have been in D.C., we'll just talk federal right now, um, that have been there for 20 years, 30 years, sitting in a, in a power position. And I've seen behind the curtain. I was a liaison on the Hill for a while and as a special operations guy. Um, I've seen behind that curtain. And there's things that take place that there that would make you... Uh, embarrassed to be an American or for me hurt my heart that uh, I spent 20 years going back and forth to Afghanistan, Iraq and other places and uh, putting Americans in body bag to watch it fall apart in several weeks in Afghanistan. And I've seen some of the failures that you're talking about with infrastructure and definitely with the shots. I believe it's a bioweapon. I'm trained in bioweapon stuff. It's what I do as a special operations guy. Unconventional warfare, foreign internal defense, direct action, special reconnaissance, weapons of mass destruction as part of my training. And I know what it looks like, and this is what it looks like. And so for our leaders to allow that to happen to us and to continue to mandate it to the soldiers and sailors and airmen, Marines, Coast Guardsmen, 
to purge the military of our critical thinkers, to continue to allow them to be damaged by this. This is one of those times where, where the military, where law enforcement, where there is just, um, and there, there's, there's nothing sometimes that we can do as, as military with our commands other than say that's an unlawful order. There's sometimes there's not much we can do at a, at a sheriff's department level or a police department level on what goes on on the Hill. Sometimes there's nothing that we can do about that, but there is something we can do. Number one, we can pray. We can get our knees, and as a nation, when we do that, we get our knees and we repent, and we'll be blessed again. But until that time, there will be some dark times that we're going to have to deal with. But we're going to do it once again, as both gentlemen have said, together. We're going to do it together. And we're going to ride this wave through because we are Americans. And just like uh, William Barrett Travis said in the Alamo in 1836, fellow citizens, I'm going to paraphrase, fellow citizens and compatriots, I call on you on everything that is, that to come to our aid with all dispatch, with everything that is dear to the American character. We need you all to be part of this team. We get through this together so we can fix these things that this lady is talking about, that, that she so eloquently put together. Because these, the, the problems are massive. And once again, that gets back to control the controllables. We've got to not get fearful about it. We can't, we can't live in that spirit of fear, but we control what we can control. And if it takes people like us to step up, and if it takes us, if God calls us to step into those positions of legislature at local, I'm a local guy, state, I'm definitely a state guy, and federal, I'm not that guy. But uh, if it calls on us to do that, then we'll do that. And we'll call on you to do the same thing for us, to come to our aid with all dispatch. Yeah, and I'll just piggyback on the, the lesson that I learned tonight, which is control the controllables. It's, uh, you know, I always bear the weight of everything that went on in New York and around me on my shoulders. And my best friend's father told me something. He was a, a Syrian Christian. He was born in Syria. He was being persecuted. He, he, fled, he fled Syria. He went to Venezuela, didn't speak the language, learned the language. Venezuela started going bad. He came to America, had to learn his third language. He started a business and became a successful man. And what he told me was, what he told me is, you want to change the world? Take care of your family. So what I'm going to say is we spoke a lot of tonight on failure and leadership, but there's also a failure for us to lead from behind as citizens. There's a failure for us to lead in all of our professions. We we do not hold ourselves accountable enough as we're throwing it at the leadership too. We should be leading from behind as well. We should be not only not only taking care of our family, but taking care of our community and taking care of the things that we can take care of. You know, you spoke a lot of issues, a lot of different issues, um, and really comes down to the fact that there are us, there are patriots, there are people in each one of those professions that are failing their profession. And we need to hold our own space accountable. We can't fix all of America's problems. We can fix it at a local level with us. And through that, by fixing it at a local level, we will fix it at a state level and we will fix it at a federal level. But we have to control our own space, control the controllables like Lieutenant said. 
Wow. That was great. I'm going to tell my um, teenage daughter who's in college, though, to control her controllables instead of stressing about everything. But that's really good advice to give anyone, regardless of age. Thank you for that. That was really, I, I love that. And I, we appreciate all your time you've given, but if you have time for one more question, I'll ask Rose to make it quick. Is that, is that okay with both of you? Okay, Rose, you're up and please ask your question, but if you can please make it, you know, kind of brief since um, we've taken a lot of time from these fine gentlemen. Can you hear me okay? Okay. Um, first of all, thank you. And I just, I'm a working woman and in the South and didn't, didn't have much time. But anyways, um, to listen to everything, and you've probably gone over all of this stuff, but I'm in the South and there's a lot of sheep in our area. So all we know to go by is these feeds as far as activity going on as far as movements taking place, as far as any documentation with any legal documentation that people post on different feeds. So I feel like we're in an area where it is very hard and it's hard to be encouraged to know that things are changing. So we're, I am still getting versed on the law and I feel embarrassed to say that I don't know the law like I should, the government like I should, and the changes that are gonna take place. But if you could capsulize the truth about, first of all, martial law, Nuremberg Code, what is it possible for those to be reenacted? Like, would martial law only happen once or twice? Would Nuremberg Code only be implemented a few times? Like, what, what would cause those to be reenacted, I guess, or because um, I'm not versed on the Nuremberg Code, but I've heard about it. I've heard sometimes we'll use it. Martial law, get ready. We might go into martial law. But you're in a sheep area. Does those those does that matter? And you know, we're trying to listen to as many podcasts as we can and get as much informed as we can. But one thing that was a glimmer of hope for me was I went to the bank and got out some money and the dollar bill had a strip on it. It was a $100 bill. So that encouraged me that our money was being, um, going through a transition. Does that make sense? Can you hear me? Yeah, we can, yeah, we can hear you. Okay, so I'm saying a lot only because I've, I've had a lot of, I've heard a lot of people asking and giving situations and building up, but I just really want to know the nuts and bolts of martial law, what it really is, Nuremberg Code, what that really is, and does it affect certain areas more? Will we, what will we see in our cities when certain things happen? If we're in a sheep area, will we see more of it? I mean, not as much of it. Does that make sense what I'm asking? Yeah, I think yeah, I'm understanding all, all my answer to the... I got some feedback. Rose, can you yourself? Okay. So I'll answer that from the martial law side from the military, and then I'll let the lieutenant uh, 
answer from the law enforcement side because he's probably seen some of that in, in some city streets with some National Guardsmen. So from the military side, martial law can be cleared, cleared when the President of the United States or National Security Council declares an emergency at a federal level. This is a concern for me in that, uh, and martial law does not necessarily mean they're going after citizens. Martial law means martial, means military law is enacted that to a governor can do that in a sense by sending out the National Guard sometimes to do hurricane relief, sometimes to do a uh, bad winter storm in South Texas and the lights go out for two weeks to deliver emergency supplies, to do other things. What I get more concerned about is if a World Health Organization declares a pandemic, a pandemic health emergency of interest, okay, that's what they call it, and says then, uh, and then let's say President Biden extends the emergency declaration that he did during COVID, which he did, he just extended it the other day, then at that point, then if the Defense Health Agency then usurps the authorities that are under the Health and Human Services, we're talking about FEMA, uh, that type of stuff, the question to me that would be a concern, I haven't seen this happen, but could quarantine camps then come along? All right, that, that's, that's a concern. It's not happening, don't wanna scare anybody, but those are concerns. That's why all the things we talk about with, with talking to your legislators, we've gotta make sure that those things don't happen. All right, that's number one. Number two, when it talked about Nuremberg code, that Nuremberg was a city in Germany that after World War II, where the, where the Nazis were uh, captured and taken to, to put in a tribunal, a court in Nuremberg in 1947 is when it culminated. And at that time, the Nuremberg Code was created. And the Nuremberg Code said this, you cannot use experiment, experimental medical uh, tests on people without informed consent. Well, the Nazis were doing it upon the Jews and other, other people that they had captured in the concentration camps, and they stood trial. And the answer to the question to them, when you broke these laws of humankind, when you did these experiments upon people, the, the excuse that I was just following orders doesn't work. And they and some of them hung and some of them were at a firing squad. So Nuremberg Code was created that has diddly needed out. If you read those things, number one is about the informed consent uh, and that you can't do things to people without their consent or things that will knowingly kill them or hurt them. Um, that's what that is, that's the code. Would it be reenacted? It would be a good thing it was reenacted in the sense that if this is a bioweapon and people knew about it, then they were administering to our citizens under a mandate for emergency use, and they knowingly did it, committed malpractice, malfeasance, intentional harm upon them. And you can't use the excuse, well, I was just following, you can't use that excuse. So, but that would be require a trial, a fair trial with all constitutional rights afforded to them. Those answer those two questions from my standpoint. From the from the city standpoint, from law enforcement, I'll leave it to Lieutenant Mack to, to straighten that out for us. Sure. So I, I think the explanation on Nuremberg was was dead accurate and and obviously looking back, I, I hope that some portion of it is, is enacted and people are held accountable for the decisions that they made and the the laws that they knowingly broke.
Um, so I do. I, I I hope at some point that that law does stand here um, for for what would be for me really is a state of emergency, right? And and what is a state of emergency is really you know martial law. Like for from a law enforcement standpoint, uh, I'm going to talk from New York City. It would be a state of emergency. Currently, what we see is we have state of emergencies for gun violence. We have a state of emergency for COVID that they actually let end but continue the mandates. So we're seeing things being used improperly. Um, we're seeing state of emergencies that aren't being, that aren't true emergencies. Like when a natural disaster came in, when we had Superstorm Sandy come into New York shores, devastate homes, we enacted a form of martial law, state of emergency, you know, federal government, FEMA, National Guard, everybody came in to help. It was an all hands on deck effort. So on, and, and those scenarios, that's when martial law should happen, or a form of it as, as a state of emergency. That's when that should happen. Um, and, and although we are using it improperly in New York, and, 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 like, and like the lieutenant colonel said, and I, I don't want to scare anybody, they, they are trying to pass a bill, a uh, backdoor, passing the legislator, a quarantine bill uh, through public health law. We had a great attorney in New York, uh, attorney Bobby Ann Cox. She fought it. Uh, the law was found to be unconstitutional. But New York uh, Governor Kathy Holchill and her attorney general are appealing that law. They submitted a file to appeal that law. And basically what that appeal is saying that if the government deems you a public health risk, they can remove you from your home and put you into a camp. Now, they didn't define what a public health risk. They didn't define a time that you could be held. We don't know what a public health risk is. These are dangerous things. And just like the lieutenant colonel said, you need to be aware. And I know you said that you don't, you're not familiar with the law, but that's the first step in becoming familiar with things. So start to get up on that. Become familiar with the law. Become familiar with the issues that you see. When you have questions, research it. We have all our tools at our hand. You know, I got this phone. I could find out anything I'd like it, anything I like in seconds. I could research it. I could take the time. There's videos. So I recommend you doing that. Um, but, you know, I, I, as of right now, we're, you know, these things, you know, what we could do, I do see a coming together of people. I see media platforms like this where we're coming on. We're having real unfiltered conversations. And that's what we need to do. Control the controllables. And, uh, again, you know. I, I thank everybody for uh, having us on, and 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 uh, Lieutenant Colonel truly is an honor, and and to be with Sheriff Lamb as well. Well, you know that was a great question from Rose, and I, I kind of hate that she brought it up that I didn't think of it because I've got so much that I can talk about now. But I'm not going to hold you guys. We're going on two hours. I hope I can bring you guys back on another time. I did put Dr. Chambers' uh, channel link on the bottom of the wall, so everybody on here, if you guys can go ahead and join his group. And John Macari has his a podcast as well. Um, it's going back to that Nuremberg cold. You said if they knew about it being a bioweapon, and there's so much out there in the universe with Fauci and the gain of function, and there's rumors about the bio labs in Ukraine and where I hope that, uh, Putin exposes that and if that ties to a lot of things hopefully we can get some justice because I lost an aunt in this um, war and um, she was like a mother to me she taught me how to read when I was a little boy and I'm sure everybody has a relative that um, lost their life in this um, battle that we're in 
And I really appreciate you guys. And John Macari, if you can tell the audience your podcast. And like I said, you guys, you're an admin on this group. Uh, Dr. Chambers, under your actual username, you're an admin in this group. Feel free to share information. And John, if you can tell the, the group about your podcast. And Dr. Chambers, I know you're with Dr. Vleet and you're with the Truth for Health. And if you can provide that as well. Yeah, sure. So everybody, you can find me on social media. I go by my real, uh, by my name. It's at John D. Macari, M-A-C-A-R-I. Uh, my my podcast is thefinestunfiltered.com. That's where that's where it is. It's on all. Uh, but the true name of my podcast is New York's Finest Retired and Unfiltered Podcast. I'm on all major platforms: Apple, Spotify, iHeart, as well as YouTube and Rumble. I have I have those channels. I just started uh, last week. Uh, just just based off of being invited to this, I was like, wow, it's a, a great tool. So yeah, I'm out there. If you Google my name, Lieutenant John Macari, I'll pull up. You know, you can contact me easy. Anybody has questions, uh, and uh, I appreciate you guys taking the time to sit with us and and get involved. Thank you guys. Yeah, I, uh, thank you, Lieutenant Macari. Uh, it's great, great being on here with you with some great Americans tonight. Um, you know, this is, uh, I, I don't have a lot of media stuff. I just got the Telegram thing and uh, LinkedIn. I don't even look at it anymore, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm working heavy on legislation right now on medical freedom. Uh, I'm working with some lawyers to uh, continue to, to take the mandates off the military. Um, on my lines of effort page that's on my website, which is uh, www.drpetechambers.com, uh, uh, that that has my lines of effort. So I, I put this on there. I made the website as a repository for information for people to go to, to include my original informed consent I give to soldiers on the border before we knew what was going on. I just did what I thought was right. I followed some people, McCullough, uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Vleet, who I was with, uh, with uh, or I, 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 at thetruthforhealth.org, a great person. There's a lot of resources in that. Uh, on that page as well. Uh, this is about information sharing uh, because you're not going to get it from mainstream media. Watch mainstream media. Just don't watch it. Take it away from them. Take that power away from them because the, the mind, this fifth generation warfare end is the mind is what they're planning on. And they're, they're trying to, to create a bunch of cognitively dissonant sheep for the slaughter. Okay? I'm just going to say it. So we don't want to be them, all right? We're sheepdog. Law enforcement, military, we're sheepdog. Our job is to stand in the gap to serve and protect because you are worth it. When somebody says to me, thank you for your service, I learned this from a Medal of Honor recipient. He said it to some guy in a taxi one time. He was in New York, and the taxi driver said, wow, thank you for your service. Kid jumped on a grenade, a Marine jumped on a grenade to save his buddies and survived it. And he said, well, you're worth it, sir. And so I thought, what a significant thing. That's why we do it. We don't, we don't, you know, I'm going to be straightforward here. We don't go down range, jump out of planes, go kick in a door, shoot people in the face because we hate people. We do it because we love who's next to us, the people going in that door, and who's behind us, the people back home. The truest virtue of a warrior is love. We've said that there's a theme here. Think about this theme tonight. It's love. That's the truest virtue. I read it in a book, and I... <laughs> It's called the Bible, right? It's, it's been 
reverberated tonight numerous times. So that's what we got to do. We got to love each other like we love ourselves. We got to go out there and stand in the gap, interpose for people, doctrine of lesser magistrates, and go be Americans because that's what we do. Thank you, Patriots. Thank you for your service. Love to bring you guys back on and uh, hope you guys have a good night and appreciate all the information that you provided for everybody. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you guys. It was a pleasure. You have a good night. Take care.